0: Chapter 14 of Unto Caesar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. Unto Caesar by Baroness Orxy chapter fourteen hast thou an arm like god or canst thou thunder with a voice like him job eleven verse nine a few moments later licinia came running back into the room augusta she exclaimed excitedly even before she had crossed the threshold augusta quick the caesar dea flavia started for she had indeed been suddenly awakened from a dream slowly and with eyes still vague and thoughtful she turned to her slave the caesar she repeated whilst a puzzled frown appeared between her brows and the young blood faded from her cheeks the caesar ay said the old lady hurriedly he is in the atrium even now having just arrived and his slaves fill the vestibule he desires speech with thee he does not often come at this hour said dea whose face had become very white and set at mention of a name which indeed had the power of rousing terror in every heart just now does he seem angered she asked under her breath no no said licinia reassuringly how could he be angered against thee my pet lamb but come quickly dear to the robing-room what dress wilt thou put on to greet the Caesar? in nay nay she said with a tremulous little laugh we'll not keep my kinsman waiting that indeed might anger him he has been in this room before and hath liked to watch me at my work let him come now as he wills licinia would have protested for she loved to deck her darling out in all finery that to her mind rendered the augusta more beautiful than a goddess but there was no time to say anything for even now the Caesar's voice was heard at the further end of the atrium do not disturb your mistress i'll talk to her myself nay i'll not be announced tis an informal cousinly visit i'm paying her this morning he seemeth in good humour whispered dea flavia whose little hands were trembling as they made pretence once more of taking up the modelling tools licinia hurriedly tried to smooth down the golden hair which had become unruly during the course of the morning but in her haste only succeeded in completely disarranging it and it fell in wavy masses down the young girl's shoulders all but one plate which remained fixed over her brow like a wide band of gold dea uttered an exclamation of horror and made a quick gesture trying to capture the recalcitrant curls even at the very moment that the emperor caligula entered the room he paused on the threshold and her arms dropped down to her side her golden hair fell all around her as she bent her knees making an obeisance to the Caesar. there was nothing regal about her now nothing impervious or proud she looked just like a child caught unawares at play blushing with confusion she advanced towards her kinsman and with head bent received his kiss upon her pure forehead nor did she shrink at this loathsome contact which would have filled almost any other woman's heart with horror to her this man was not really human he was the caesar a supernatural being blessed by the gods and endowed by them with supreme majesty and power dismiss thy slaves he said curtly i would have speech with thee he had well schooled his turbulent temper to calmness after chaos Napos' departure and a final outburst of unbridled violence he had plunged into a cold bath and given himself over for half an hour to the ministration of his slaves then cool and refreshed at any rate outwardly he had dressed himself in simple robes and passing right through the halls of the palace of tiberius which adjoined his own he had reached the precincts of dea flavia's house which in turn abutted on that built by germanicus at any other time but the present one when his frenzied mind was wholly given over to the thoughts of the terrible treachery against his own person he would have been conscious of dea flavia's exquisite beauty as she stood before him humbled with the proud humility of one who has everything to give and nothing to receive chast with that pure ignorance which refuses to know what it cannot condone and withal a perfect woman imbued with a fascination which no man has ever been able to resist for it was the fascination of youthful loveliness combined with the stately aloofness of conscious power at any other time but this the unscrupulous voluptuary would have gazed on his beautiful kinswoman with eyes that would have shamed her with her undisguised admiration and mayhap his look and actions would have placed the severe test on her loyalty and on her respect for him but to-day caligula only saw in her the tool whom conspirators meant to use for their treacherous ends her loveliness paled in his eyes before the awful suspicion which he had of her guilt and whilst she stood quietly awaiting his pleasure he marvelled how much she knew of the traitor's plans and whether her white fingers would effectually thrust the dagger into an assassin's hand she had dismissed her slaves at his bidding all unconscious as she was of any danger that might threaten her through him he waited for a while in silence then he said abruptly dea flavia what is thine age she looked up at him smiling and puzzled some twenty years great Caesar," she replied but of a truth i had not kept count twenty years he retorted then tis high time that i chose a husband for thee this time she looked up at him boldly and although in her glance there was all the respect due to the immortal Caesar, yet was there no show of humility in her attitude as she threw back the heavy masses of her hair and drew up her slender figure to its full stately height was it to tell me this she asked simply that the greatest of Caesars sought his servant's house to-day in part he rejoined curtly and i would hear thine answer my lord has not deigned to ask a question art prepared to accept a husband whom i thine emperor will choose for thee in all things i do give thee honour and reverence o caesar she replied but but what but i had no thought of marriage no thought of marriage he retorted roughly as unable to sit still harassed by rage and doubt he once more started on that restless walk of his up and down the room she watched him with great wondering eyes that something serious lay behind his questionings was of course obvious he had not paid her this matutinal visit for the sole purpose of passing the time of day and she did not like this strange mood of his nor his reference to a topic over which he had not worried her hitherto in truth the thought of marriage had never entered her head even though Licinia, with constant garrulousness, had oft made covert allusions to that coming time, she knew for it had been instilled in her from every side ever since her father had left her under the tutelage of the Caesar that she must eventually obey him if one day he desired that she should marry the young patrician girl would never dream of rebellion against the power of a father or a guardian and when that guardian was the Caesar himself and the girl was of the imperial house the very thought of disobedience savoured of sacrilege but hitherto that question had loomed ahead in dea flavia's dreams of the future only as a very shadowy and vague she had never given a single thought to any of the young men who paid her homage and their efforts at winning her favours had only caused her to smile she had felt herself to be unconquerable even unattainable and Collegia, before this mad frenzy had fully seized hold of him had in his own brutish way indulged her in this allowing her to lead her own life and secretly laughing at the machinations that went on around him to obtain the most coveted matrimonial prize in rome now suddenly this happy state of things was to come to an end. Her freedom, on which she looked at her most precious possession, was to be taken roughly from her. One of the men whom she had despised, one of that set of libertines, of idle volumptuaries who had dangled round her skirts while casting covetous eyes upon her fortune, was to become her master, her supreme lord, and she, a slave to his desires and to his passions strangely enough the thought of it just now was particularly horrible to her the thought of what the caesar's wish might mean the inevitableness of it all nauseated her until she felt sick and faint and the walls of the room began to swing round her so that she had to steady herself on her feet with a mighty effort of will lest she should fall she knew the Caesar well enough to realise that if he had absolutely set his mind on her marriage nothing would make him swerve from the thought if he once desired a thing he would never rest night or day until his wish had been fulfilled men and women of rome knew that patricians and plebes senators and slaves had died horrible deaths because the Caesar had demanded and they had merely thought to disobey therefore it was with wide-open terror-filled eyes that she watched that tyrannical master in his restless walk up and down the room outside greater darkness had gathered heavy clouds obscured the light and the gorgeous figure of the caesar now and then vanished into the dark angles of the room reappearing a moment later like some threatening ghoul that comes and goes blown by the wind which foretells the coming storm after a while caligula paused in his walk and stood close beside her looking as straight as he could into her pale face no thought of marriage he repeated with one of his mirthless laughs no thought mayhap of the husband whom i would choose for thee no doubt there is even now lurking somewhere in this palace a young gallant who alone has the right to aspire to dea flavia's grace my lord is pleased to jest she said coolly and knows as well as i do that no patrician can boast of a single favour obtained from me then tis on a slave thou hast chosen to smile he said roughly then as she did not deign to make reply to his insult he continued come art mute thou dost not speak when caesar commands what does my lord wish me to say hast a lover girl no my lord thou liest did i deceive my lord in this then had i not the courage to look boldly in the Caesar's face bah he said with a snarl i mistrust that maidenly reserve which men call pride and i clever coquetry the women of rome have realised fortunately by now that they are the slaves of their masters to be bought and sold as he directs the wife must learn that she is the slave of her husband the daughter that she belongs to the father the women of the house of caesar that they belong to me it is a hard lesson my lord would teach to one half of his subjects it is he said with brutal cynicism but i like teaching it i hope to live long enough nay i mean to live long enough to establish a marriage market in rome where the lords of the earth can buy what women they want openly for so many sesterces as they can their cattle and their pigs she recoiled from the man a little at these words and a blush of shame slowly rose to her cheek but she retorted calmly the gods do speak through caesar's mouth and he frames the laws even as they wish her words flattered his egregious vanity which had even as great if not a greater hold upon him than his tyrannical temper he knew that to this proud girl he was as a god and that her respect for his Caesarship made her blind to every one of his faults but this additional simple testimony from her pure lips caused them to relent towards her and quite instinctively made him curb the violent grossness of his tongue thou speakest truly o dear flavia he said complacently the gods will when the time comes speak through my mouth and make known their will through my dictates even as they have done hitherto even as they do at this moment when i tell thee that i desire to see thee married my lord hath spoken she said calmly do not think o dear flavia he continued carried away by his own eloquence that i desire aught but thy happiness if i decide to give thee for wife to a man it shall only be to one who is worthy of thee in every respect thou shalt help me to choose him for i have not yet made my choice he shall testify before thee as to his nobility and his bravery and thou dost assure me that thou hast not yet bestowed thy regard on any man he paused midway in his phrase with indrawn breath waiting for her reply she gave it firmly and without hesitation i have cast my eyes on no man my lord and have no desire to marry wouldst concentrate thy virginity to vesta then he asked with a sneer rather that she replied if my lord would so deign to command tush he broke in impatiently herein thou dost offend the gods and me tis impious to waste thy beauty in barren singleness the gods hate the solitary maid unless she be ill-favoured and unpleasant to every man Thou of the house of Caesar hath a mission to fulfil and canst not fulfil it thus in isolation, fashioning clay figures that have no life which they can consecrate to Caesar but have no fear for i thy lord do watch over thy future the man whom i will choose for thee will be worthy of thy smiles he drew up his misshapen figure to its full height and beamed at the young girl with an expression of paternal benignness he was delighted with himself delighted with his own oratory he was such a born monte that he could even act the part of kindness and benevolence and he acted it at this moment so realistically that the ignorant confiding girl was taken in by his tricks she saw the gracious smile and was too inexperienced too devoted to see the hideous leer that he was at pains to conceal the choice will be difficult gracious lord she said feeling somewhat reassured and will take some time to make therefore i will trust to inspiration he rejoined blandly the gods no doubt will speak when the time comes ay they will thunder forth their decree at midday to-morrow said caligula with well-assumed majesty to-morrow o oh my lord thou hast said it i have a fancy to make known my decree in this matter during the games at the circus to-morrow so put on thy richest gown o dea flavia augusta he added with a sneer so as to appear pleasing in thy future husband's sight my gracious lord is pleased to jest she said all her fears returning to her in a moment with an overwhelming rush that made her sick with horror jest he retorted with a snarl showing his yellow teeth like a hyena on the prow nay i never was so earnest in my life is not the future of my beloved ward of supreme importance to me nay then good my lord she pleaded earnestly her young voice trembling her blue eyes fixed appealingly on the callous wrench i do beg of thy mightiness to give me time to think too i have done all the thinking he broke in roughly thou hast but to obey indeed indeed she entreated i have no wish to disobey but my gracious lord do I pray thee deign to consider? Silence, wench! he shouted with a violent oath, for what he deemed her resistance was exasperating his fury, and reawakened all his former suspicions of her guilt. Cease thy senseless whining. I, thine emperor, have spoken. Let that suffice. Who art thou that I should parley with thee? To-morrow thou go to the circus. Dost hear? and until then remain on thy knees praying to the gods to pardon thy rebellion against Caesar. and with an air which he strove to render majestic he turned on his heel and prepared to go but in a moment she was down on her knees her hands clutching his robe she would not let him go not now, not yet, whilst she had not exhausted every prayer, every argument that would soften his heart towards her. My gracious Lord, she pleaded, whilst her trembling voice was almost choked with sobs, for pity's sake do hear me. I am not rebellious, not disobedient to thy will. I am only a humble maid who holds all her happiness from thee my gracious lord thou art great and thou art mighty thou art kind and just have mercy on me for my whole heart is brimming over with loyalty for thee i am free and i am happy in my freedom the men who fawn around me coveting my fortune fill me with disgust i could not honour one of them my lord i could not give one of them my love thou who art so great must know how i feel i implore thee to leave me my freedom the most precious boon which i possess and my lips will sing a paean of praise to thee for as long as i live but caligula was not the man whom a woman's entreaties would turn from his purpose more especially when that purpose was his own self-interest this wretch who had no heart within him no sensibility not one single feeling of pity or of loyalty his instinct must have told him that dear flavia was loyal to the corps loyal to Caesar and to his house but so blinded was he by rage and humiliation by the terror of assassination that he saw in the earnest simple pleadings of a young girl and devoted partisan nothing but the obstinate resistance of a would-be traitor the more did dia plea the more did he become convinced that already her choice of a husband was made and that the husband was destined to wrench the sceptre of Caesar from him and to mount Caesar's throne over his murdered body with a brutal gesture he pushed the young girl from him silence he shouted as soon as choking rage enabled him to speak silence i say ere i strike thee into eternal dumbness what i have said i've said dost th- hear me to-morrow at the circus i will name thy husband and then and there thou shalt accept him whoever he may be i have reason for wishing this a reason of state far beyond the comprehension of a mere fool to-morrow thou shalt accept the man of my choice as thy future lord. This is my will. Look to it, O daughter of Caesar, that thou dost obey. Caesar has spoken. Caesar has spoken. she pleaded, but my gracious Lord will relent. dost know me, girl? he retorted as bending down to her he seized her wrists in his and brought his flushed face all distorted by fury close to her own dost know me for if thou hast ever seen me relent once i have set my will look into my eyes now look i say he shouted hoarsely giving her wrists and arms a brutal wrench do they look as if they're meant to relent is there anything in my face to lead thee to hope that thou wouldst have thy treacherous way with me he held her wrist so cruelly that she could have screamed with the pain but she bit her lip to still the cry daylight now was yielding to the oncoming storm dense shadows hung all round the room making the objects in it seem weird and ghost-like in the gloom sudden gusts of wind swept angrily around causing the withered leaves and dying flowers in the vases to murmur with unearthly sounds as of the sighing of disembodied souls only through the aperture above a streak of greyish light struck full upon the Caesar, as with glowing eyes and cruel grasp he compelled her to look on him for a moment she closed her eyes after she had looked for never before had she seen anything so hideous and so evil his misshapen head looked unnaturally large as it seemed to loom out at her from out of the gathering darkness his hair stood up sparse and harsh all round his forehead his eyes were protruding and shot through with blood his lips were dry and cracked his cheeks of a full crimson and heavy sweat was pouring down his face when she turned away from him in horror he broke into that wild laugh of his which had in it the very sounds of hell well he said with a leer hast seen my face art still prepared to disobey no my lord she said slowly and fixing her eyes fully upon his now but i am prepared to die to die what senseless talk is this not senseless my good lord even the gods do allow us poor mortals to find refuge from sorrow in death so he said slowly still gripping her wrists and peering into her face till his scorching breath made her feel sick and faint that is the way thou wouldst defy the will of caesar death sayest thou death and disobedience rather than submission to the wish of him who has godlike power on earth death and he laughed loudly even whilst from afar there came faint and threatening the nearer presage of a coming storm what death a pleasing dreamless sleep brought on by drugs a soothing draught that lulls even as it kills or hast perchance thought of the arena of tigers that roar or the lector's flail that drives hast thought hast thought he was foaming at the mouth his rage was choking him he had only just enough strength left in him to tear at the neck of his tunic for the next moment he would have fallen fell like an ox by the power of his own fury but as soon as he had released dea flavia's wrists and she felt herself free to move she rose from her knees and with a quick almost mechanical gesture she rearranged her disordered robe and shook back the heavy masses of her hair then she stood quite still with arms hanging by her side her head quite erect and her eyes fixed upon that raving monster when she saw that he had at last regained some semblance of reason she said quite calmly my gracious lord will work his way with his slave and deal her what death he desires what he murmured incoherently what didst thou say tis death i choose my lord she said simply rather than a husband who was not of mine own seeking for a moment then she did look death straight and calmly in the face for it was death that looked on her through those bloodshot eyes he had thrust his lower jaw forward his teeth large and yellow looked like the fangs of a wolf stertorous breathing escaped his nostrils and his distorted fingers were working convulsively like the claws of a beast when it sees its prey caliglia would have strangled her then and there without compunction and without remorse she had defied him and thwarted him even more completely than she knew herself and there was no death so cruel that he would not gladly have inflicted upon her then dost dare to defy me he murmured hoarsely hast heard what i threatened she put out her hand quietly interrupting him i heard the threat my lord and have no fear she said no fear of death none gracious lord there is no yoke so heavy as a bond unhallowed no death so cruel as the breaking of a heart there was dead silence in the room now only from afar distant rolls of ceaseless thunder sent their angry echo through the oppressive air. Caligula was staring at the girl as he would on some unearthly shape. Gasping, he had fallen back a few steps. The convulsive twitching of his fingers ceased, his mouth closed with a snap, and a great yellow patches appeared upon his purple cheeks then he slowly passed his hand across his streaming forehead his breathing became slower and more quiet the heavy lids fell upon the protruding eyes cassius julius caesar caligula was no fool his perceptions in fact became remarkably acute where his own interests were at stake and he had the power of curbing that demoniacal temper of his even in its maddest moment if self-advantage suddenly demanded it he had formed a plan in his head for the trapping of the unknown man who was to mount the throne of caesar over the murdered body of his emperor before dealing with the whole band of traitors he wished to know who it was that meant to reap the greatest benefit by the dastardly conspiracy there was one man alive in rome at the present moment who thought to become the successor of caligula the one man would be bold enough to woo and win dea flavia for wife Caligulus, one conher thought ever since caius nepos had betrayed the conspiracy to him was the desire to know who that man was likely to be that was the man he most hated the unknown man him he desired to punish in a manner that would make all the others endure agonies of horror ere they in turn met their doom but his identity was still a mystery to discover it the Caesar had need of the help of this girl who stood there so calmly before him defying his power and his threats he looked on her and understanding slowly came to him understanding of the woman with whom he had to deal it dawned upon him in the midst of his tumultuous frenzy that here he had encountered a will that he could never bend to his own an irresistible force had come in contact with an unbending one one of the two must yield and caligula staring at the young girl who seemed so fragile that a touch of the hand must break her knew that it was not she who would ever give in his well-matured plan he would not give up he had thought it all out whilst he refreshed himself in his bath after caius nepos's visit and it was not likely that any woman could by her obstinate action move caligula from his resolve but obviously he must alter his tactics if he desired dea flavia's help he could gain nothing by her death save momentary satisfaction and the matter was too important to allow momentary satisfaction to interfere with the delights of future complete revenge therefore he forced himself to some semblance of calm he was a perfect mountebank a consummate actor and now he called to his aid his full powers of deception cunning should win the day since rage and coercion had failed slowly his face lost every vestige of anger and sorrowful serenity crept into his eyes toddling like one who feels unmanned he sought the support of a chair and fell sitting into it with his elbows on his knees and his head buried in his hands woe to me! he moaned woe to the house of caesar when his fairest daughter turns traitor against her kin i a traitor good my lord she rejoined quietly there is no treachery in my desire to serve caesar in single maidenhood or to offer thee my life rather than my freedom there is black treachery he said with tremulous voice like one in deep sorrow in refusing to obey the caesar in this alone but it was his turn now to interrupt her with a quick raising of the hand ay that is what the waverer says good my lord i'll obey in all save in what doth not please me dea flavia augusta i had thought thee above such monstrous selfishness selfishness my lord ay art thou not of the house of caesar art thou not my kinswoman dost thou not receive at my hands honour position everything that places thee above the common herd of humanity were i not the Caesar, where wouldst thou be not in this palace surely not the virtual queen of rome but mayhap a handmaid to another Caesar's wife an attendant on his daughter thou dost seem to have forgot all this augusta nay gracious lord i have forgot nothing your goodness to me and yet wouldst deliver me over into the hands of mine enemies he said with increased dolefulness and not raise a finger to save me i would give my life for the Caesar. she interposed firmly and this the Caesar knows wouldst not even take a husband when by doing so thou wouldst save the caesar from death my gracious lord speaks in riddles i do not understand didst not understand girl but i wish to test thy loyalty to me thou like so many alas dost so oft prate of unbound attachment to caesar to-day for the first time did i put that attachment to the test and lo it hath failed me try me my lord she said and i will not fail thee but give me thy trust as well as thy commands she advanced close to where he sat apparently a broken-down sorrowful man stricken with grief the mighty Caesar now was far more powerful than he had been a while ago when he raged and stormed and threatened for he had appealed to the strongest feeling within her he had appealed to her loyalty slowly she sank once more on her knees not in entreaty now not with thoughts of self but in the humble subjection of herself to the needs of him whom the gods had anointed she sank upon her knees and with that simple action she offered her happiness on the altar of her loyalty to him and to her house gone was the look of defiance from her eyes the pride had vanished in all the joy of life no thought was left in the young mind now save an overwhelming sense of loyalty no feeling lingered in the heart save the desire for self-sacrifice The Caesar had commanded, and since she could not disobey, she was ready to die. Memory had in a swift flash called up before her the vision of a man who, rather than yield to her caprice, had smiled at the thought of death, and she, too, had almost smiled, for suddenly she had understood how small a thing was life when slavery became its price but now all that had changed the Caesar pleaded and made appeal to her loyalty her refusal to obey him was no longer pride it was disloyalty almost sacrilege the Caesar called to her it was as if the gods had spoken and she fell on her knees ready to obey the consummate actor was clever enough to hide the triumph that lit up his eyes when he saw her thus kneeling and understood she was prepared to yield he stretched out a paternal hand and with weary sadness stroked her golden hair trust me gracious lord she reiterated my life is thine do with it what thou wilt traitors are at work dea flavia to murder the caesar he said gently ye gods she murmured horrified i wouldst think mayhap that the gods will interfere they will i'll tell thee that they will but they have need of thee augusta i thy Caesar, thy god do have need of thee with both hands now he took her own in his not roughly but with infinite tenderness and cunningly contrived with two hot tears should fall upon her fingers my gracious lord she whispered my life is at thy service accept the husband whom i propose for thee and my life will be safe refuse to obey me in this and to-morrow the blood of caesar will be upon thy head my lord wilt obey me augusta my gracious lord i do not understand she pleaded have pity on my ignorance trust me about a little further i cannot tell thee more he said with a sigh of patient weariness but this i do tell thee that my life and with it the future of our house of the empire now lie in thy hands the abominable traitors would make a tool even of thee the husband of dea flavia augusta they say shall succeed the murdered caesar she uttered a cry of horror their names she murmured tell me their names i know but a few which are they they speak of hortensius martinus oh and young escanes also of filario my servant ye gods she exclaimed let your judgment fall upon them and of taurus Antonor, the praefect of rome added the Caesar and a savage snarl escaped his lips even when he spoke the name taurus Antonor, she exclaimed then half audibly she murmured to herself repeating the Caesar's words they would make a tool of thee she had fallen back squatting on her heels her hands clasped before her and her head sunk upon her bosom bowed with shame and with horror her name had been bandied about by traitors her person had been bought and sold as the price of the blackest sacrilege that had ever disgraced the patriciate of rome and thou taurus antinor she whispered inaudibly art the blackest traitor amongst them all there was no need now for the Caesar to make further appeal to her loyalty she was loyal to him body and soul loyal to him and to her house ready to sacrifice her pride her freedom if need be at the word from the Caesar. since he had said that by her action on the morrow she could help him fight the treacherous infamy caligula could well be satisfied with his success nor did he try to press his advantage further all that he had wanted was the assurance that she would not thwart him when he put into execution the plan which he had conceived the man-trap which he had set would not now fail through dia's obstinacy he thought that the time had come for ending the interview he desired that her receptive mind should retain a solemn impression of his majesty and of his power a charlatan to the last he now rose to his feet and with outstretched arms pointed upwards to the small glimpse of leaden covered sky jove's thunder still speaks from afar he said with slow emphasis but to-morrow they will crash over rome and over the traitors within her walls the air will be filled with moanings and the gnashing of teeth the tiber will run red with blood for the murdered caesar will mayhap be crying vengeance upon the assassins wilt save the caesar o dea flavia wilt save rome and the empire from the deadly crime and the devastating vengeance of the outraged gods he towered above her like some inspired prophet with arms stretched out towards the fast approaching storm and eyes uplifted to the thunderbolts of jove i await thine answer he said o daughter of the Caesars, my answer has been given gracious lord she murmured have i not said that my life was at thy service thou'lt obey command o Caesar. to-morrow at the circus dost understand i have a plan and thou must obey blindly Dost understand he reiterated hoarsely i understand my lord i'll name thy future husband to the public to the plebes to all and thou'lt accept him before them all without demur as my lord commands this thou dost swear this do i swear then said the mounteblank with mock reverence as he placed his hand blood-stained with the blood of countless innocent victims of his tyranny upon the bowed head of the loyal girl received the blessings of jupiter the victorious of juno the holy goddess and of Magna mater the great mother for thou art worthy to be of the house of Caesar. but even as the last of these impious words had left his lips the long-awaited storm broke out in sudden fury a vivid flash of lightning rent the sky from end to end and lit up momentarily every corner of the room the kneeling figure of dea flavia the misshapen figure of the imperial monster the fading flowers in the vases then, a mighty clap of thunder shook the very foundation of dea Flavia's palace. Caligula uttered a wild shriek of terror and calling loudly for his slaves, he fled incontinently from the room. End of chapter Fourteen.